Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be together. Good to worship together. Appreciate uh, your participation in that worship and also appreciate uh, those who have led us very, very well in that worship this morning. The opening line in a song that we often sing called True Worship uh, says, Oft we come together, oft we sing and pray. That's not a very deep statement. It's not a very complex statement at all, but it is significant. It is very significant. I mean, the fact that we gather together multiple times every week is kind of a big deal. And maybe we get used to that because we do it so often and we we do it regularly. We do the same kind of thing every week, multiple times a week, but it is a big deal. You think about it, the members of this congregation have historically always gone to great lengths uh, and even great expense to make sure that, that we have a place to worship, that we have all that we need to be able to conduct effective scriptural worship to our God. And in fact, I would say that regular assembling together has to be one of the most prominent defining features of Christ's church, if not the most prominent. After all, the word church used in the New Testament, uh, ekklesia in the Greek, means assembly. That's, that's what it means. And, and so we are nothing if not a group of disciples of Jesus who assemble together. And that's represented well in the time, the effort, and the money that we spend on matters related to our coming together. We have this building solely for the purpose of facilitating our coming together for assemblies focused on worship and study of God's Word. When we have our business meetings, nearly the entirety of those meetings focuses on the logistics of some facet of our assemblies, typically. And so obviously, we've made our assembling together an enormous part of our identity as a church and our work as a church. And I believe that Scripture teaches us that that ought to be so. That is as it should be. Throughout the book of Acts, as we observe the early church, what we see is that they were constantly assembling. They didn't just do it two times a week either. They were together all the time, encouraging one another, worshiping together, praying together, studying together, etc. However, while that was the case in the first century, When you think about our world today, our society as a general rule is not super interested in worship assemblies. Just not really interested. There are a lot of people who want to to say, I'm I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Uh, It's a very common sentiment to say, I'm a Christian, but I don't really go to church much. I'll serve God on my own. I don't need the church in order to do that. It can just be a me and God kind of thing. I'll find him in the woods. I'll, I'll do my own devotion kind of thing, that sort of thing. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, quite frankly, from one standpoint, that actually makes the most sense. It makes sense to say, I'm, I'm not going to do the whole church thing. I'm just going to find God on my own. That's going to work better. Because, truthfully, the church is made up of, guess what? People. Guess what people are like? People are difficult. People are messy. People are hard to deal with sometimes. People don't always say the right thing. People are pretty fallible uh, in a lot of ways. People, people can hurt me. People can upset me. And so, from one standpoint, like I said, I can, I can understand why you might think I'd be better off without the church just being a Christian and finding God on my own. But obviously, God, in his infinite wisdom, knows that people can hurt us and that people are not perfect. And yet, he still emphasizes throughout his word both in the Old Testament and in the New, that he wants his people to assemble. 
that he wants his people to assemble with other believers. Why? I mean, if people are so difficult and messy, and God knows that, why would he say that despite that, we still need to get together with other people? I think one place in Scripture that helps us answer those questions is a place that we often go to to remind ourselves and to remind others of the importance of assembling together, and that's Hebrews chapter 10. And that's, that's where I want to go this morning. And I'll be honest, Hebrews chapter 10 sometimes has been used, I'm told, not, not hopefully by anybody and not in, in here, not in my experience uh, has it been used on me in this way, but it has been used as sort of a club to beat people over the head with to say, show up to church. And of course, the fact that I'm preaching this lesson in an assembly means that uh, I'm preaching to people who assemble generally. So uh, I am preaching to the choir to some degree here. But I think that when we consider the context of Hebrews chapter 10 as a whole, and even just the verses preceding verse 25 that we often think about to make the point that we need to be assembling, which is a valid point, I think we can see some bigger reasons why that's so important that help us understand why that, why that command is given. Uh, and hopefully that will encourage us all this morning and help us remember why we're here and uh, have a renewed sense of focus and purpose uh, when it comes to our assembling together. All that being said, let's start reading here in Hebrews chapter 10, and I want to begin in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So like I said, often we focus on verse 25, which is the practical command that concludes the section. And that's a critically important verse. I don't mean at all to downplay the importance of saying we need to be here. We need to show up to the assembly. But I also want us to back up and notice that the verses that precede verse 25 are not at all disconnected from it. Rather, the context of verse 25 helps us understand why that command is given there. So as we consider the biblical purpose and spirit of the assembly of Christ's church, the first thing I would suggest to you is what's found in verse 23. And I think that verse tells us... excuse me, that we assemble because we need other Christians. We assemble because we need other Christians. Now, certainly verse 25 should be read in the context of verse 24. Give me just a second. I'm going to take this frog out of my throat. So certainly verse 25 should be read in the context of verse 24. There we go. But I think it should also be read in the context of verse 23. So let's back up a little bit further. Uh, because verse 24, at least in my translation, begins with the word and. So what came before that? Well, verse 23 is an encouragement for the saints that says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let's think about that for a minute. The overall context of the book of Hebrews is a call to remain faithful despite the difficulty that is associated with being a Christian. And we've seen that in our study of the book of Hebrews even recently. And so that difficulty that that often comes to us because of our faith is called to mind here. And so if the writer is calling the Christians to hold fast, 
without wavering, which is what it says in my translation, it would seem as though he is concerned that they might waver. And the rest of the book does bear this up, uh, wherein the Hebrews author talks to his audience about the serious challenges to their faith that were already being presented and likely were going to get even worse. That was their reality. And we may not be dealing with the same exact kind of difficulties in our day that challenge our faith and our commitment to Jesus that the, uh, the audience of the book of Hebrews dealt with. But the fact of the matter is we have no shortage of challenges of our own kind. Everybody who seeks to serve Jesus in their own day is going to encounter some challenges. I mean, we have an adversary, Satan, who is actively seeking to devour us. That has been true even when this book was written and, and is still true today. We are surrounded by a culture that would like us to keep quiet about our faith and stop talking to them about their need to be saved and about how they're in sin. We have challenges within ourselves, not just fears without, but also fears within. We get depressed. We get down. We start to lose our energy and our zeal sometimes. And all these things and more challenges that exist for us present very real threats and challenges to our unwavering faith in Jesus. And that's the landscape in which we are trying to be faithful. In reality, what I think all this reminds us of is that we are involved in a spiritual war. That's the truth of it. We're we're involved in a spiritual war. Satan is seeking to devour us, not to poke us or annoy us, but to devour us, to destroy us. He's out there. He's prowling around looking for an opportunity to do just that. And so bringing this back to what we're talking about this morning, if we neglect to come together with other Christians, guess what we're doing? We're helping him out. We're making it easy for him. Think about this in terms of a physical war. In a physical war, how long does a soldier last who decides to stay out on the battlefield exposed to enemy fire overnight, indefinitely, while the rest of his fellow soldiers bunker down for the night and leave him all alone? How long does that guy last who's out there just by himself? We all know there's no way he's going to last very long at all in that kind of situation. I think we all understand that. So if we can understand that, then we have to also understand the fact that such a reality is also true spiritually. If we're trying to stay alive spiritually and hold our faith fast without wavering, how can we possibly expect to accomplish that goal without consistent help from our fellow soldiers? And so when you grasp the fact that we really are engaged in the spiritual warfare, that that is active, that does not stop, it becomes so clear that we need our fellow soldiers if we're going to make it, if we're going to survive the battle. And if we are seeking to stay alive spiritually, we know that what that necessarily involves is bearing the fruit of a disciple of Jesus. And that's what verse 24 then talks about. The greatest commandment and the second greatest are to love God and love each other. And these are what it looks like in practice to stay alive spiritually, to hold that fast. And so verse 24 explains that assembling involves considering how we might stir one another up to both these things, to love uh, of God and of others, and then to stir us up to, to good works as we serve God and serve others. We need to bear this kind of fruit if we are to stay alive spiritually, and we need fellow Christians to stir us on to those things. And how, how does that happen? When does that happen? Where does that happen? Well, verse 25 tells us that. 
It happens when we're together. It happens when we assemble. Have you ever missed a, a Bible class period or a worship assembly and then you got a text or a call from another Christian? That ever happened to you? You ever wonder why they did that? I mean, it's a valid question. Why are they so concerned about it? You miss one time and, and you're not there and then all of a sudden you're getting hounded by people. You know, where were you? Why, why weren't you there? Do they, they just care so much about that number over there? They really want to see that, that get over 40 or something? I mean, you've got to have you there. Get that number up. Do they want to make themselves feel righteous and be like, now listen, I was at worship, and I didn't see you there. Make themselves feel better. Is that, is that what this is all about? What kind, of, what kind of reason would somebody have for, for doing that? I think it's a valid question. And I can't get inside other people's minds, but having sent a few of those texts myself... I know why I did it, and it's not because I enjoyed doing it at all. In fact, I don't like asking people anything that might make them upset with me. As I confessed last week, I'm a chronic people pleaser, so I would much prefer to just say nice things and us just enjoy our lives and be happy all the time, and I would much prefer that. So if I hate doing it, then why would I, why would I send those texts? Why would I make those calls? I do it because I love those people. I do it because I love them. And I know from Scripture that they need this, that they need to be with other Christians for their own spiritual sake. And so Hebrews 10 reminds us that the assembly is important for many reasons. But one huge reason is that we need to be with other Christians. And if those other Christians care about us, they're going to want to make sure that we don't miss out on opportunities to receive God's blessings given through other believers as we are gathered to worship and study. And then for those of us who have always been here, every time the doors are open and we we count on those people, let's also be reminded that we're here for the very same reason. No matter how old we are, no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how many assemblies we've attended, we are also here because we need other Christians. All of us need other Christians. Every single one of us needs each other. I think this text reminds us that that's reason number one why we assemble together and why we need such an assembly on an ongoing basis. But not only do we assemble because we need other Christians, but I believe another thing that Hebrews 10 reveals about the purpose of our coming together is that we assemble because other Christians need us. Believe it or not, this goes both ways. Yes, we we come to worship and study because we all need others to help us, and we need to be fed in our faith. We need others to stir us up to bear the fruit of love and good works. But it's also imperative that none of us neglect assembling because sometimes, really all the time, it's our turn to do the stirring as well. The reality in any congregation is there are some typically older, more mature Christians who are really strong and who end up doing a lot of the stirring up. They're the ones who send those texts. They're the ones who do the teaching. They're the ones who put in a lot of the work outside of the assembly. They're people you can count on. People who, if they're not in the building well before it's time to start, you start to worry. We've got a few of those here. Uh, But those people are doing a lot of the work a lot of the time. But what may surprise you about those people is that they're human. They're not robots. (laughs) They get discouraged. Sometimes. That might shock you, but everybody deals with that sometimes. And so we can see the wisdom in what God has designed for the church. There's no pecking order, there's no super Christians and and big hierarchy 
There's no corporate structure. There's no managers. I'm just a lowly, you know, low-level, line-level employee. No, we're all just Christians. There's only a body. There's a body with a head who is Jesus Christ. That's what we are. And when that body is functioning properly, all parts are serving their function and building each other up. And so the direction is given here in Hebrews chapter 10 in a non-limited fashion that we are all, all to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And truthfully, we all need that sometimes. For different people, different things can stir us up. Maybe there's a mature, older Christian who needs strengthening. And, and maybe they don't need somebody to text them every single day and say, hey, keep on keeping on, fight the good fight. And maybe they don't need somebody to do anything dramatic to keep them going. But maybe just seeing somebody step out of their comfort zone and lead a prayer who's never done that before. Maybe that's what they need. Maybe the presence of somebody at a Wednesday night Bible study who doesn't usually show up but is making the effort. You never know what that can do for one of those people. And those kind of things can be just the kind of thing they needed to give them hope and strength that they were lacking. And so my point simply is, maybe, maybe you feel like you're not in a position to be missed when you're not here. Maybe you feel like you, you could miss a couple times and no one's, no one's going to care. They're not going to notice. It, it doesn't make a difference. The truth is, I can say with confidence to every single person here, when you're not here, you are missed. You are. And maybe you don't lead in public worship at all. Maybe you don't make comments in class. Maybe you're a quiet person. Whatever it is, I'm telling you this morning that just as much as you need to be here to be strengthened by your brothers and sisters, they need you here to strengthen them. And often, you can do that just by your presence. A lot of times, that's all it takes. It's, it's an amazing blessing from God that every single one of us, just by doing what we can do, where we are with what we've got, can make such an incredible positive impact on others through our assembling together. So on the one hand, this is a potentially uh, uncomfortable reminder in part that, yeah, you need to show up for that to happen. And sometimes that's difficult, but we got to show up. But on the other hand, this is an incredibly comforting and inspiring reminder that even if you don't feel like you make a difference in the Lord's church, the truth is that you do. Every single Christian does, simply by assembling and allowing God to work through us to bless our fellow Christians. Everybody does. And the truth is, biblical Christianity is not a solo sport. This isn't something you do on your own. This is a team endeavor. Just a casual glance through this text in Hebrews 10 reminded me of this truth. It's incredible when you open your eyes to exactly what he's saying here in this entire section of of how powerful the point is that we all have a role to play in helping each other stay faithful. Look at Hebrews 10 with me real quick. Look at the language used here and notice with me how little singular or personal language is used, but notice with me how much group language, how much communal community language is used. He starts off and he says, we have confidence. He says, the way he opened for us, we have a great high priest. He talks about the house of God. I don't think it's an apartment. It's it's a house, (laughs) household. And then he says, let us draw near, not let me draw near, with our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed 
Then he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us consider how to stir up one another, not neglecting to meet together, encouraging one another. It's all over this text. And so whether you feel like the newest Christian or the weakest Christian out there, or even if you feel like a strong Christian or a veteran Christian, the truth is that if you are a Christian, you have an obligation to the body in order to fulfill these we, these us, together, one another commands. All of us do. Yes, we assemble because we need other Christians, but we also assemble because other Christians need us. And that's beautiful. But the beautiful thing is that those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. In fact, I think Scripture teaches us, and Jesus shows us, that it's when we come simply to serve, expecting no benefit for ourselves in return, that we often find ourselves most blessed by God. That's the nature of it. And so we need other Christians. Other Christians need us. And we need to be here in order to fulfill those needs. So let's not miss out on all the blessings God has designed for us to receive by being together often. And nor let us deprive other Christians of those blessings because we are not in, in the room where it happens, to borrow a line from Mike's musical there. So, not that he wrote, you know, he, he likes Hamilton. Anyway, but there's one more reason we come together that, that Hebrews 10 points us to as well. And it is a reason that transcends even the beauty of what takes place between Christians themselves. There's an even greater reason here. As wonderful as that blessing is, as, as to what happens between us, the truth is that when we come together, we do something even bigger than just encouraging each other. When we're assembled together, what we are ultimately doing through our Bible studies, through our singing, through our prayer, our preaching, and especially our partaking of the Lord's Supper, is we are pointing each other to Jesus. And what do we need more than anything in this world? We need a restored relationship with our Creator, which is possible only through, as the Hebrews writer says, the new and living way of Jesus Christ because of His sacrifice of His body on the cross. And so, yes, we assemble because we need each other, but most of all, we assemble because we all need Jesus. It's great to be together to lift each other up and help each other remain faithful, but the best thing we can ever do for each other is to point each other to our Savior. And actually, guess what? That's the point of the entire book of Hebrews. <laughs> we saw that throughout our study of the book last quarter. The theme I chose for that book is that Jesus is greater. Maybe you remember that. Maybe you don't. I don't expect you to. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I think the entire book bears up that theme. The author acknowledges those challenges that we talked about, that multitude of challenges that are inevitably going to come to the Christians in his audience because of their faith in Jesus. But his admonition is clear no matter the challenges, do not give up on Jesus. Don't do it. No matter the obstacle, it's going to be worth it to stay faithful to Jesus. And so while he spends a great time, a great deal of time in that book making arguments rooted in the law of Moses, that's, that's a good bit of the book, makes those arguments to support his call to these Christians not to give up on Jesus, one of the places the rubber meets the road with that, so to speak, as he gives them practical considerations for how exactly they can remain faithful to Jesus, is right here in chapter 10. I think that's what's going on in this text. So that's what the author is doing when he talks about how they absolutely cannot neglect to assemble. You can't neglect to meet together. He's saying that in this bigger context of how important it is to not give up on Jesus, to stay faithful. 
And so what that tells us is that if we want to hang on to those spiritual blessings that we have only in Christ, we need to be assembling with other Christians. Not just because we can lift each other's spirits, but because if our assemblies do what the first century church's assemblies did by God's design, our coming together is going to push us to greater devotion to Jesus Christ. And it's not going to let us lose our focus on him. And we all need that. That's ultimately why we come together. It's great to be together with people who will support you. And God designed us to do that together. But our shared commitment to Jesus as king of our lives who has given us every spiritual blessing and offered us a way back to God, that's what makes our gathering meaningful. People get together all the time and try to support each other and support groups and organizations and hobbies. But this is different because we are focusing each other on someone greater who we all need, more than we need even each other. And that's Jesus Christ. And that's what I believe the Holy Spirit through the Hebrews writer is trying to tell both the original audience of the book and us today. That those who have been blessed by knowing Jesus need to be getting together. And the Christians who assemble together will, guess what, be blessed by knowing Jesus. And by sharing their faith in him and their dedication to him. And that sharing is powerful. Look at how the writer begins this section in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh... And since we have a great priest over the house of God, then he says, let us draw near. To each other, yes, but most especially to him. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And truthfully, you know what that's going to mean? That's going to mean some of our assemblies aren't perfect either. Sorry to break that news to you if you hadn't realized that yet. (laughs) But if you want to find something wrong with an assembly, I'll guarantee you something right now. You will. (laughs) You will be able to. No no doubt about it. Even just with my sermon, man, I could already pick apart a lot of what I've done here this morning. But but no matter what you want to find wrong, you'll probably find it. The songs were too slow. The prayer was boring. sounded just like every other prayer anybody's ever prayed before. The sermon wasn't very relatable, and the preacher said something that rubbed me the wrong way. I don't think he said that very well. He probably didn't. The truth is, all those things are probably accurate. It's probably true. We're not the most eloquent people in the world. We're not the best musicians. We're not the, the, the best students ever to walk the planet. But that's just what happens when real people, actual human beings, get together and try to worship. But here's what we're missing when we get so focused on those things. Those things aren't the point. Yes, we ought to be singing, and we ought to be praying, and we ought to be preaching, but the point isn't just to check a box that says we sang five songs. That count, right? Anyway, uh, that's not the point. The point isn't to check a box and say, yeah, we prayed, and we said, in Jesus' name, amen. The point isn't saying, okay, we spent 20 minutes listening to a sermon at least. Jesus is the point. God the Father is the point. God the Spirit is the point. And so let's ask ourselves this. Can a slow song still point me to Jesus? Yes. Can a clumsily worded prayer still communicate with the Father? Yes. Can a boring sermon still point me to the truth of the scriptures that were inspired by the Holy Spirit? You bet. 
And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, there's, there's nothing we need more than to be pointed to Jesus, to be brought near the Father and to be pointed to the truths that come from the Spirit himself. We all need that. We need those things desperately. And by God's design, we can receive them. Even if our assemblies aren't perfect, we can still receive them by being together. If we do not neglect to meet together, but rather come together every time we can, every time we have this opportunity, and we come together with a heart that acknowledges our need to be with other Christians, a heart that's ready to serve others, expecting nothing in return, and most of all, with a heart that is seeking above all else to draw nearer to God himself, which is what we all need. So may God bless us as we seek to meet together in a way that encourages each other and especially points us to him and to his son as the author and the perfecter of our faith. Not an easy lesson for me to prepare and deliver. I, uh, this is challenging, and saying, saying you need to be here is, is, you know, is, is not fun, but also, like I said, preaching to the choir is a little easier because you guys are here, and I appreciate your encouragement. My prayer is that you'll take this in the spirit in which it was intended, as an attempt to challenge us all in love to conform more fully to the pattern in the New Testament, inspired by our God, and ultimately to submit more fully to the kingship of Jesus Christ as Lord. Is your whole life in submission to him? Is your whole life submit to Jesus? Ask yourself that this morning. Is your whole life in submission to Jesus? Every bit of it. If you're a Christian, does your allegiance to Christ define who you are? Does it define what you do? Does it define where you go, where you are? Does it define who you are, what you do, and where you are? Yes, at 9.30 on a Sunday morning and at 10.30 and and then at 7 o'clock on a Wednesday night, that's a valid question. But more than that, does it define who you are, what you do, and where you are 24-7, 365? That's the call. Showing up to church is kind of the easy part. We have to give our whole lives to Jesus. There's that line in the song that I feel like I come back to so often. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Jesus deserves that and more. He deserves every bit of that. And so let's help each other do that this morning. Let's help each other. Let's lift each other up. And as we've talked about, really that's one of the main reasons why we're here. So if you need to change your life to better submit to King Jesus, don't, don't try to do it by yourself. It's probably not going to work very well. You're going to end up out on the battlefield all alone, and you're going to get hit and taken down. That's the reality. But we're here to help each other. Christianity is not a solo sport. And, and so whether you want us all to pray for you or whether you just want to talk to a couple other Christians privately, either way you want to go about it, we're here to help each other. If we can help you right now, we'd love to pray together for whoever needs prayers for for anything, especially spiritually, uh, as we all seek to draw closer to God, which is what we need the most and what we're seeking to do every time we come together and even this morning. If you have a spiritual need we can help you with, we'd love to to do that as we stand and as we sing this invitation song.